maybe because it's the the new filter they have going maybe. on here. Yeah, their their uh, new spit guard. Yeah, so you don't spit right on it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe someone was in here singing and they just needed. <laughs> the mic does look new as well. Looks a lot fresh. It's a weird way of saying it. Okay, to start, um, I want to mention this episode is going to be a little more sensitive, potentially. Um, We are talking about suicide and suicidal attempts. Um, So just want to make you aware as the listeners that we are talking about something that could be very sensitive and triggering too some people so please be aware of that Um, and if you do feel like you are struggling with some of the things we talk about um, go get help and do what you need to in order to be okay this is unspoken secret episode 10 today i'm joined with brett and i just realized i don't know your last name uh, yeah, I, I may tell you after. <laughs> you don't have to tell me during. I just yeah. realized that. <laughs> Brett is fine. <laughs> yep, Brett's fine. We can start with Brett. Um, I believe I have, but you may not remember. I just okay. think I forgot. It's okay. It's okay. I think I forgot. Um, that. and we haven't known each other too long, so you're, I forgive you. If it was like four or five years, I'd be like, oh, you should know my <laughs> you last should name. Know. But no, it's good. I just have never... I think it's on my phone, but I can't remember. Um, but yeah, do you want to introduce yourself? Say some things about you. Um, I'm Brett, as Bradley so kindly introduced. <laughs> um, thank you for having me, by the way. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's probably not a topic that I like to openly just freely go out and just talk to a lot of people about, but it is a topic that needs to be talked about mm-hmm. and something that needs to be a lot of people need to be made aware of that it's yeah. it's a true thing it happens and that suicide and depression to me in my opinion this is my opinion mm-hmm. um is kind of blind as far as it doesn't care what race you are mm. what gender you are what class as far as like upper class lower class middle class doesn't matter it doesn't matter it can affect all types of people yeah and so i it's it's a very real thing and i think people just need to be a little more a little more aware of it you know mm-hmm. yeah for sure so i hope this will be a good medium to talk about yeah. it cuz it, it definitely isn't something that you really discuss in like small talk <laughs> right. conversation with people. It's right. a heavy topic. It is a heavy topic. But if we don't talk about it, then the problem's not going away. No. Nope. And nope. we want to help as much as we can. So yeah, hopefully this will be a good outlet. Um, yeah. I, I don't know where to start. I, I mean, um, geez. Uh, I, I, I think a lot of it has to come with, um, well, my story kind of starts um, kind of what Bradley had said in his previous podcast, um, that I'm I'm also gay, um, and it kind of evolves around that. Um, when mm-hmm. I kind of struggled living, and you mentioned this in, in one of your past podcasts, excuse me, mm-hmm. about living like two lives. 
And yeah. that's very much what I was doing as I was living two lives. I was born and raised Latter-day Saint. Okay. Um, and trying to uh, live those standards and live up to the expectations that my parents wanted me to live up to, mm-hmm. but also knowing that I was gay. I was not open, and no one knew about it, obviously, because mm-hmm. I hadn't come out. But I knew, you know, and yeah. I knew from a very young age. Okay. Um, I knew probably when I was about... Um, Probably about six, maybe seven years old. Really? I knew. And it wasn't like wow. an, like a sexual attraction to other, yeah, other yeah. males. There's more to it. It was sure. it was a it was an attraction, but it wasn't a sexual attraction. Yeah. Um the sexual attraction stuff didn't come on until like I was twelve or fourteen. Yeah. Kind Obviously of older. Yeah. But I always had like an an attraction to, to males. Hmm. Interesting. Um, and so I, I always knew. And so trying to live, especially, you know, that age, because you're getting baptized and stuff like that at that mm-hmm. age. So you're trying to live the standards of of the religion mm-hmm. and also knowing that I have this, to me, what felt like this deep, dark secret of me being gay. You yeah. Know? Like mm-hmm. it's taboo type thing. And mm-hmm. I live, we lived in a, in a community um, that was pretty close knit. And so... A lot of the members, or excuse me, a lot of the neighbors were kind of, I mean, good people. Good people, don't get yeah. me wrong, but kind of judgmental as well. <laughs> They're everywhere. <laughs> and Everyone's judgmental. <laughs> to the point where it's like everyone was classified as either a member or a non-member in mm-hmm. our neighborhood. So if we had someone move in that wasn't a member, they weren't classified as like the Johnsons or the Jones or the, whoever. They were classified as the non-members down the street. And so just kind of setting up this whole type thing of, of hmm. the community that I, I grew up in. And um, <clears throat> anyway, fast forward a little bit um, with living kind of like this double double lifestyle. Um, when I got to be older and um, and I served a mission, by the way. I did serve a mission. That was a very, a very big struggle um, because I didn't want to – I wanted to li- – be a good missionary and I wanted mm-hmm. to um, serve the church and I loved I loved my mission I loved going out and helping other people and serving and stuff like that that was I enjoyed that quite a bit mm-hmm. um, but I didn't you know tell um, my companions or anything like that um, but I also didn't do anything like weird like I didn't come on to them and I wasn't like attracted to them or anything like that that would you know, make them feel uncomfortable or anything like that. I respected all their, their personal space and stuff like that. Um, but I really wasn't attracted to any of my companions, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, probably uh, probably a couple years after my mission, it kind of started getting worse with um, the anxiety. I've always kind of had, like, anxiety and stuff. And living kind of the double lifestyle of trying to be a good a religious uh, LDS boy, but also knowing that I'm gay and I really can't do any much to, to fix it, you know, because mm-hmm. you try. Yeah. You do try. Yeah. Um, you're like, why am I this way? Why am I, you know, different than everybody else? Why did you make me different? Mm-hmm. And it's a struggle. And it got to the point where after my mission, probably a couple years after my mission, I ended up moving out and moving into um, into a, an apartment with a roommate um, who was actually kind of a, a friend of mine. 
and we got along very well. Um, he he was not religious, um, so he's very low key, very mellow, mm-hmm. uh, very good friend, um, and we were great great roommates. And a couple years passed, and I it got to the point where. I needed to tell somebody. I needed to come out and tell someone that I was I was gay because it was just bottled up. Yeah. Um, and so I came out to him, and you know it was it was actually kind of a little bit of a, a funny story because um, he was just sitting on the couch watching TV, and I came up to him like, "Hey, we need to talk," and he was thinking. He told me after he was thinking that like I was going to. Tell him that I could no longer be his roommate and that I was moving out and I was he, he was going to have to find someone else and just all this stuff. And I told him, like, hey, I'm I'm gay. And he's like, all right, that's no big deal. Okay. Cool. He kind of, he, yeah, cool. <laughs> he pretty much, he told me that he pretty much knew that mm. I was gay, which is funny because a lot of people that I meet don't think that I'm gay. They're like, no, you're not gay. I'm like, yeah, like, yeah, I am. I am. think you're wrong. I am. <laughs> uh, but a lot of people, it surprises them when I tell them. Hmm. And so I, I actually ended up telling my brother very shortly after that, and he he knew as well. He's like, I know you're gay. You don't have to. You're fine. Yeah. And my brother and I were really cool. We you know we're really close and stuff. Hmm. That's nice. So about this time timeline, this is about like October ish that this is kind of happening, mm-hmm. and um, I'm stressing about telling my parents who are very well I need to back up a little bit I'm sorry my parents actually divorced when I was young my mother was still very religious my dad was not and so I was very concerned about telling my mom and my stepdad who are quite religious Mm -hmm. and so that's what I was stressing about is because I just came out to my roommate I came out to my brother it went good but I was stressing about coming out to my Them. my mother mm-hmm. and my stepdad because they're religious and it almost in my mind would bring like like shame mm. to them you know and I'd get like yeah. disowned and and stuff like that um, and that other members would find out that they, they have like a gay son and that they would judge them you know and stuff like that yeah. so all this stuff is going around in my head and you know the anxiety just kind of makes it worse excuse me and um so, about, I'm struggling with this, and probably about late November, um, I had kind of a bit of a breakdown where <clears throat> things got a lot more difficult uh, trying to live, like, two lives. I was only able to really have the strength to come out to just my brother and, and to my friend, and it got to the point where I didn't want to I didn't want to face it anymore. I didn't want to live the double life anymore. I didn't want to face having to uh come out to them and face the judgment, face being uh disowned, face all this stuff. And to a lot of people that may not seem like such a big deal, especially cuz I'm out on my own, I've got my own job, you know, I'm who cares if I'm disowned and stuff like that, I just move on with my life. But having like I have high-functioning anxiety, so I have really bad anxiety, but I'm still able to kind of function and mm-hmm. go to work and, and yeah. support myself. But the anxiety is very bad, and it was getting very bad to where I couldn't see um, all those other possibilities of who cares if they kick me out or who cares if 
you know, they disown me or, or whatever. I was very um, tunnel visioned hmm. at the time. It was, and it got to the point where I just decided that I was going to just end it, end it all and just not deal with it anymore. That was, that was the way out. That was yeah. the way out of this whole entire situation. It was just, just end it. Hmm. And so uh, I, one night it, it came to the point where I was, I was done. And I, um, I, I, <laughs> so I, I used to live in, in, uh, at this time I lived in Midvale. Okay. And, um, a lot of times when I would need to just think and kind of, um, just have some good thinking time, that's the best way I can really think to explain it, as I'd go on walks. This night I decided to go on a walk to think about how exactly I was going to do it, do it right so that I was completely out so I wouldn't have to... Effective. Yeah, effective. Yep, that's the best way I say it. So, a way that it was effective. I actually ended up walking from Midville almost into Draper and back. So roughly about, I don't know, like, 10 miles or 12 miles or something wow. like that. Huge, long walk. And during this time, um, I'm sorry, to, I keep backing up a little bit. During this, okay. this week period, maybe a couple weeks period, I had kind of stopped eating as much as well. Hmm. So I was actually getting to the point where I was losing a lot of weight. Um, I was becoming pretty malnourished and stuff like that. Um, I, I weigh about 180 pounds now, and at this time I weighed about 150 pounds. Okay. So I was quite a bit thinner. Um, <laughs> yeah, almost sickly. Because with my frame, I mean, 150 pounds, it's it's pretty thin. I'm, I know you're you're. <laughs> I'm very thin, thin but yeah. don't compare to me. <laughs> so, um, so I went on this long walk, and I thought about how, exactly how I was going to do it, and I came up with the plan and all that stuff, and I returned home. It was probably about 1 or 2 in the morning. Um, I uh, ended up getting my my pistol, my nine millimeter out, uh, fully loaded, all, all that. Um, and this is where things get interesting. I put my my nine millimeter up to my head, ready to pull the trigger and all that stuff, and I actually passed out. My yeah. body was exhausted. I was malnourished, and I was tired, and I actually ended up blacking out before I could pull really? the trigger. Yes. Wow. So. Um, I'm not sure exactly kind of if what led to that and all that, but that's the best that I can come up with is that I was just, I was tired. It was a long walk that I had just been on. Um, I, I had very low energy. I hadn't been sleeping a whole lot. And so that's kind of what happened. I ended up waking up the next morning to my sister at my apartment door and some and this part I don't really remember a whole lot, but somewhere during that night, I, I'm not sure if it was during my walk or after my walk or what, I had sent a text to her, and I don't remember the contents of the text, but it was like a goodbye or, or like I love you or something like that. Hmm. Um, and I think she kind of figured out that something was, was up. Was wrong. And we're, we've kind of been pretty close, close net as well. 
And so she ended up coming and checking on me that morning, that next morning. And it woke me up, and I let her in and stuff. Um, but I was still dead set to commit suicide. To do this. I was, I was, but I wasn't telling anyone. Mm-hmm. And, but I was going to do this. I fell the night before I'm, I'm going to do this. Um, and she, in a way, ended up prying out of me that she knew something was wrong. She knew something was up. And she caught on that I was going to, to kill myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and she ended up taking me to the hospital. And once you go to the hospital and you're, like, attempted suicide, mm-hmm. they lock you, in a sense, they lock you into this this room that more or less is kind of a padded room, you know? Yeah. And they have, like, a, a security guard that stands outside, and they just make sure that you don't hurt yourself or anything like that. Um, they have doctors that come in that ask you certain questions and stuff. And I'm still dead set to kill myself. Like, the next chance I get, I'm going to do it. Um, but it's just got to figure out how to do it. It's prolonged now. Exactly. Um, and the doctors figure out that I'm suicidal um, and that, you know, I'm pretty dead set that I'm going to hurt myself. Um, so they actually ended up transferring me to um, what they call Fourth North, which is the LDS hospital. There's mm-hmm. like a suicide um, wing there. That's like that. Really? They have fifth floor and fourth floor. And... I checked in there. They they took me like they. You're not allowed to have anyone in your family take you down there. You, in a sense, kind of become property of the state. I don't know the best way to say that, but hmm. they can't let you out of their presence. So I've actually had to go into an ambulance with some other EMTs while they watched me while they took me down to um, Fourth North, checked me in, put me onto this floor that's like. Um, kind of like lockdown almost, where uh, you basically strip down because you can't have anything that's like uh, like shoelaces, strings, belts, uh, waistband type stuff. You just can't have anything that you could use to like hurt yourself or strangle mm-hmm. yourself or anything like that. Yeah. So they give you like a ho- hospital gown, and you basically stay there and in, in this lockdown. And I, I had this little tiny like bedroom with this pad and like this pillow without a pillowcase no blanket nothing like that and I stayed one night there and then the next day I was able to move down to the the next floor which is a kind of a it's still higher security but it's not as high you can wear like pajamas and stuff like that you just can't have anything that has like a um like drawstrings you can't Mm -hmm. have like shoelaces belts or anything like that but you're able to wear like your pajamas or sweatpants and stuff like that and so i was able to do that and while you're there there on that floor i spent about three weeks on that floor they put you through like classes to deal with anxiety deal with suicide to deal with depression and they also do like little fun like arts and crafts type things and Mm. do just little things like that to kind of just keep your spirits up a little bit you know to kind of get your mind off of things and kind of focused on other things and i actually learned a lot about anxiety about depression uh about all that stuff it it was it was a very good i I don't want to say it but it was a good experience it was a good experience to learn all that stuff it was bad that i had to do that to get there but it was a good experience and um 
Yeah, I, I learned quite a bit. Um, it was there in the hospital that I actually told my my mom and my my uh, my stepdad that I was gay. With the presence of a, of a counselor, I was able to tell them. Um, my mom took it pretty hard. Um, she she didn't disown me or anything like that, which is which is good. But she took it pretty hard. She took it pretty hard, and and they're they're supportive now. But I know that they wish that I. I was not not <laughs> that I could have a family and that I could, you know, all the traditional stuff, mm-hmm. which I can. I can have a family. I can have kids. I can have all that stuff. It may not be the traditional family, but I can still have all that stuff. Yeah. But not in in the eyes of of what LDS members deem to be, you know, the traditional family. Mm-hmm. So um, after the few weeks that I was there in the hospital. I was finally released, but I was released into the custody of my family. I had to live with family. So during this time, I lost my job. I lost my apartment. I lost pretty much everything because I wasn't able to support myself. I wasn't able to pay for anything. Mm. I lost it all. I basically was completely broken and hit complete rock bottom. You can't get, I couldn't get any lower than that unless I was dead. That's pretty much how far down I, I was. And so I um, was living with family for a little bit, and I was able to uh, apply for jobs and get a job and go on working, which, which helped tremendously. Um, but it was, it was a difficult experience to go through. And like I said, I, I truly did become fully broken and truly hit rock bottom and it was it was hard but i learned a lot about myself why i was there and visiting and meeting with the other people who also had attempted suicide and stuff like that learning about their experiences and learning about how they ended up there as well and it's something that I really don't wish on anybody. Suicide is, it's not the answer. It really is not the answer. There always is a way around it. But it's very difficult for someone who's facing those suicide tendencies to to see that. They're very tunnel vision, like I said. They have blinders mm-hmm. on, and they only can focus on just the one objective. Yeah. Um, I think it was... Oh, I'm going to butcher this. I think it was Alexander Graham Bell who had the quote, and I, I, pro- I, I apologize <laughs> if, I, if I butcher this, but he talks about when one door closes, another door opens, but we don't see the other door open because we're so focused on the closed door. Hmm. And so, yeah, a lot of us are focused on that closed door, and we don't see that other door because we have those blinders on, and all we see is just, just we just want out. That's yeah. we want out, and that's the only way we can think of how to get out. We don't see that other door that's opened up for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm where I'm at. Um, took me a little while to kind of get back on on my feet and get to uh, where I am today. But it's it's been an experience, and it's been for the most part. Uh, an experience where I have learned 
quite a bit and experienced quite a bit and hopefully have been able to help out other people who are struggling with depression and anxiety and even suicidal uh, tendencies. Um, there's, there's kind of uh, two there's kind of two categories to people who are who have suicidal tendencies, which some people may or may not know. There's the first category which people will they'll talk about suicide, they'll talk about hurting themselves, they'll talk about all those different things. And those types of people, yes, they need attention. I'm not I'm not saying that these people don't need attention. But they're calling out for help. They need help. But they're not dead set on actually killing themselves. But they can get there eventually. The second category is the more scary one. The second category is those who say nothing. Those who say nothing and reach out to nobody, those are the ones you have to watch out for because those are the ones who want to kill themselves. Those are the ones who will do it because they don't want to tell other people that they're going to do it because they don't want them to foil their plan. Hmm. So, yeah. Wow. I, I didn't know that. I wasn't yeah. aware of that. Um, but thank you for sharing your experience. Um, I really appreciate that. I do have some questions. Yeah. That I want to ask. Sure. Um, with that. So you talked a little about this, but what are some of the thoughts and feelings that someone who is suicidal experiences before they decide to make that decision? Um, that's a pretty broad question. I'm, I'm sure it is. It's different for a lot of people, but... Um, mostly, mostly the thoughts and the feelings. You're, you're, you're very focused on ending it and thinking about how to do it best and most effective. Okay. Um, you are also, at least in, in my opinion, I was very quiet about it. I didn't want to tell anyone about it because mm -hmm. I didn't want them to stop me. I was to that point where I wanted to do this, to end it, to get out. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the thoughts were, were that. It, it's very hard to focus on anything else in life, to focus on like jobs or eating or any of the basic stuff because you are just f focused on just committing suicide and just how yeah. to best do it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, part of the reason I ask that is because I know a lot of people um, who I've talked to about this topic um, have made the comment or asked the question of how do you get to that point? What is it that makes you want to do that? And mm -hmm. I feel part of it is you just are past feeling. Yes. That yep. you you don't care anymore. Yep. And it's not even that you're so depressed. It's that you just are so numb. That is absolutely correct. Okay. You are absolutely numb to everything else around you. And you just do not care. You have got to a point where you are basically, like I said, you are basically broken. Mm -hmm. And you're, you put on a front. And this is, this is the second category I'm t I was talking about earlier, mm -hmm. where you don't want to tell anyone about it. So you'll put on a front. You're fine. You're happy. Everything's good. Mm -hmm. No problems here. If you came up and you asked me how I was feeling and stuff, feel great. You asked me, oh, are you depressed or anything like that? I'd be like, no. 
Nope, I'm good. Because yeah. I don't want you to foil my plan. Yeah, I've, I've actually heard that <laughs> a lot of people who are depressed or have suicidal tendencies, um, their family and friends will report that they observed that their mood was getting better and they seemed mm-hmm. to be improving right before they yep. attempted or committed suicide. And that's the, that's the second one that I was telling you about. That's the scary one. That's yeah. the one that you really need to be aware of. Yeah. Um, it's the, the first one, they still need help. They still need counseling. They still need support and stuff like that. They're reaching out for help. They don't want to kill themselves. But they will get to that point if left alone long enough. The second one is they're so broken, they're so numb, they're determined. They're determined. I was They've determined. Made that I was determined. My my decision was made. When my sister came to my door that morning, didn't mm-hmm. change anything. I, I was determined. If she hadn't have taken me to the hospital, I would have gone right back in my room and done it. Hmm. Wow. Um, this might be a little difficult to answer, but what are some of the signs or how do you know hmm. to be aware of someone who might be experiencing suicidal tendencies? You know, that, that one is difficult because I think everyone kind of reacts differently that's going to yeah, actually probably. commit suicide. And like I said, if in my personal opinion, if I had anyone come up and ask me, hey, are you going to commit suicide? Or, hey, are you depressed? Or, hey, you know, are you okay? My general reaction is, yeah, I'm fine. Everything's good. I'm all right. So it's very hard to get a feel on someone who's who's that way unless you are spending a lot of time with them. You'll catch different glimpses or different moods that they'll swing through. Um, there'll be times where you'll catch them go through like a happy mood, swing into uh, like a depressive, um, like sad mood, and then swing back into a happy mood. And it's not that they're actually changing moods. It's that they've dropped their front for a little bit and then they put their front back up when they've noticed mm-hmm. it. So yeah. it, hmm. that one is kind of hard hard to answer. Yeah. Um, I also know a lot of people feel uncomfortable talking about suicide or asking people about suicide because they don't want to plant that idea. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Does it increase the chances of someone committing suicide or is it helpful to ask someone and talk about it? Yes. It's helpful to talk about it. I don't think it. I don't think it, it makes people. When you talk about something, it doesn't make people want to do it more. more. You're making people aware of stuff, and you know, I, I, you can take that idea with any to, any sort of topic for education, wise. Um, yeah, drugs, I, I mean, drugs, sex. sex, any of that. You know, you, if you don't teach your kids about sex, we'll take sex. Sex is a perfect one. If you don't teach your kids about sex, they're going to experiment. And they're going to end up having sex. That's just mm-hmm. that's just what's going to happen. And they may hurt themselves, or they may catch a sexual transmitted disease, or or something like that, because you didn't talk to them about sex. You didn't talk to them about um, using safe sex and taking mm-hmm. precautions and what to do, what not to do. When you educate them, they become wiser, and they become yeah, they do, they just yeah. become wiser to the fact. yeah. And I don't think talking about sex makes people want to have sex more. Right. Right. And so I think it's the same way with suicide. When we talk about suicide and how it can affect people, it's not going to make people want to commit suicide. It's going to make people be more aware of it and Mm -hmm. open their eyes to it. If everyone's quiet about it, the problem's not going to go away. If we turn a blind eye to it, the problem won't go away. Yeah, for sure. Um. 
There was one part of your story that I thought was really interesting um, when you talked about being hospitalized and they mm-hmm. taking care of you and you were almost like government property. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember learning that suicide is illegal, which mm-hmm. sounds kind of funny or yeah. interesting. Um, like, why does it need to be a law? Right. Because you're not, you can't punish them after they've committed suicide. Right, right. Because it's murder. Because you're yeah. murdering yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. You can't. Yeah. But, um, it was brought to my attention that part of the reason that is the law and that is what it is, suicide is illegal, mm-hmm. is so that first responders and the government, um, if they suspect that you're going to do this, they can do anything in their means to prevent it. Yep. Yep. And so that's why they had the. Yep rights to mm-hmm. take you into custody yeah, and to yeah. kind of imprisonate you mm-hmm. because you were a threat to doing something illegal. Yep. I was a threat to hurting themselves. They wanted to stop me from doing that. So mm-hmm. they put me into that awesome little padded room, which kind of was a little padded, the, a gurney in the middle of it. And that was it. I hung out there for a couple hours and then they moved me to uh, Fourth North. And then there, um, they basically, I mean, you're broken and numb, but they basically (laughs) strip you down naked Mm -hmm. and they give you a physical to see if you have hurt yourself anywhere. So they give you a full physical there and then they give you a hospital gown and you basically get to hang out in this little tiny room that has this little padded bed and this little pillow and you basically just sit there and do nothing. Luckily... Uh, one of the guards there was was kind to me and gave me like a couple paperback books, so I was able to read a little bit there. Um, but I I actually ended up falling back asleep because I I really hadn't slept a whole lot, and they end up giving you drugs that kind of um, numb you a little bit more. <laughs> so they make mm-hmm. you kind of sleepy and stuff like that, and so I slept I slept most of the time when I was up on that secure floor. And then when, uh, like, a, it was the next day. I only remember being up there one day. Um, the next day, they kind of determined that I wasn't that much of a risk to myself and that they could move me down a floor. But if I showed any signs of trying to hurt myself, then it would boot me right back up to the more secure floor. Down on the, on the lower floor, that's a little less secure, you're able to associate with other people. You're able to take your courses, uh, your classes where they talk about anxiety, depression, suicide, stuff like that. And they give you little packets and pamphlets and you can go through and you do like homework type stuff. Hmm. Um, and they do like arts and crafts um, hour and you, you can play like games with other people, board games, stuff like that. Um, obviously ones that you can't like use pieces or anything like hurt yourself, but like card yeah. card games and stuff like that. Hmm. So it was it was it was good, and I was there for probably about roughly about three weeks. I got out I think a little bit before Christmas, and I can't remember the exact time frame because I went in about the end of November and got out in December area. Hmm. So you're in there for a while. I was in there for a while. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, um, and I, I accidentally skipped. So when they did release me, I had to live with family, and I also had to meet with a counselor um, once a week. That those, I had to do those things. Hmm. What would you have liked to know, or how would it have been different if someone had said or done something? Was there anything that anyone could have done, or was this so much an internal 
struggle that just you know, I don't know. That that's that's hard because I I did have like a lot of good support with like friends and family and stuff like that. Um I think it, I, it was just I had struggled so long and I was I shouldn't say brainwashed but I, I was to the point where I knew the kind of the in my mind the strictness of of the LDS religion mm-hmm. and what kind of shame that would bring upon my family and my parents and stuff if I came out gay um, to them um, and so in my mind, I wanted to save them that embarrassment, you know, mm. save them having to suffer through that, which sounds funny because you're like, well, but you're killing yourself and they will have to then deal with that embarrassment or that shame or, or that sadness for the rest of their lives. But when you're in the state that, that I was in, you don't see that part of it. You don't see that you are bringing grief to your family. You just see that you're doing everyone a favor by removing yourself from the situation. Hmm. So it's it's a little bit of a different mindset. Hmm. Um, but, I mean, to, to answer your question, I'm sorry. I, I don't know if there's really anything that someone could do. Um, I I just was... I just got to that point where I was just broken. I mean, maybe like before, like, like uh, maybe years before, if someone talked to me about being gay and it's it's okay and kind of like worked with me through that, and that you know I I wouldn't that my pa- family wouldn't be like ashamed of me and stuff like that. I think would mm. would have helped. Maybe like okay, I need to be my own person. I I can't be this fake in between like live this lifestyle and that lifestyle but i think to the point where i was at i think i was so broken that there was no return i was Mm. to the point of no return Mm. so at that point it it wouldn't have done any good Mm. um i have one last question so um a lot of people do actually commit Mm -hmm. not just attempt suicide they commit suicide Mm -hmm. um and once that occurs, that's final. You can't undo that. Right. Um, so as someone who has some experience with the thoughts and um, feelings of wanting to do that, mm-hmm. what would you say to those people who know someone who's committed suicide and no longer has that communication? Like, how could you speak for them to the people who love them? What would you say to them? Does that kind of make sense? A little bit. I kind of see where, where you're going with that. Um, so I actually did have kind of an acquaintance in, in um, it would have been middle school. Uh, his little brother actually ended up committing suicide. Um, reasons I, I'm not sure of. And seeing the sadness and the grief that brought upon his friends and his family and the community, you know, it's not, it's not worth it. Whatever issues they're going through can be worked out. And even though 
a lot of people who are have those suicidal tendencies and who are determined to kill themselves, who are so blinded to that other way out, that other door that I was speaking on, they're so focused on that closed door, don't see how much pain and grief that they're going to bring to everybody and don't realize that it's something that they can actually work through and, and get through. Um, so I'm not quite sure on what you'd say to them, you know? Mm. Um, just it's not, it's not worth it. They're, you're, you're bringing grief and, and pain to those that love you. And there's so many people that that feel like they're alone and that there's no way out. And there's so many people that support them and they don't realize it because they have those blinders on. Hmm. Yeah. Do you have any, like, words of comfort for the families and friends for people who have lost someone? Um, Wow. The the only thing that I can think of is that they're they're happy and that they're out of the pain that they were suffering. They're out of the darkness that they were in when they're at the bottom and broken, like yeah. <laughs> like I've experienced before. They're not suffering with that anymore. Um, yeah, they they're not able to to be around to to love you anymore but at least they're they're out of that pain yeah that's really difficult for sure yeah and any last comments um no unless you've got any more questions i'm i think that's all of my questions you yeah answered most of them (laughs) on your own (laughs) you (laughs) shared your story and i was like okay don't need to ask that (laughs) don't need to ask that well, and the thing is, is like, you know, I'm I'm very thankful that it didn't come to that, that I didn't succeed. I'm very thankful I didn't succeed because I've been able to to carve kind of my own path and be my person and not have to live two lives anymore, able to live the person that I want to be. And even though I'm not religious in the fact of that I'm LDS or anything like that. I'm I'm not religious anymore. You know, I, I fell away from the from the church. But I'm still spiritual. And mm-hmm. the God that I believe in, uh I I the God I believe in, he loves me. And he wants me to have love and experience love and to live a happy life, mm-hmm. you know? And I felt like the, and I'm, I know this is going to offend people and I apologize, <laughs> but I felt like the, the God that the, the LDS or the Latter-day Saints community worships is, is not the God that I know. And that's mm. what caused me to fall away because the God that I know has certain laws that he has to live or else he would cease to be God. And one of them is love. And if God doesn't love me, then he ceases to be God. Mm. And so... That's kind of why I didn't see eye to eye with the um, with the LDS the, community, yeah. mm-hmm. and ended up kind of carving my own path, living my life to what makes me happy, trying to be a good person um, to other people. That's very important. Um, trying to 
uh, share my experiences and share my wisdom with other people as I learn it and as I as I grow. But also not being judged by everybody when I go to church. Mm-hmm. That was a big one. I always felt like I was being judged. And being able to to know that I'm gay and it's okay that I'm gay because I know that God loves me and I can live my life. I can be happy and I can be a good person and that being gay is not this sin where I'm now a terrible person. I'm doing all these sinful things that I'm still a good person. I'm not this monster that a lot of people make gay people out to be like child molesters and all this stuff. It's nonsense. No, I am a decent human being that wants a family and wants to find someone to love me. Yeah. So. For sure. So my unwritten problem post for this week is more visual than it is, like, written. Okay. Um, Which is kind of interesting. Anyway, um, the only caption it has is it just says, I want to stop. Um, And it's a picture of a light. um, I don't know how to really explain it. It's just this yellow light, and you can see the shadow. Um, And I posted this with suicide in mind, that Mm. I was thinking of people who experience that mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt that way too. Um, maybe not to the same extent of wanting to harm or kill myself. Um, but I think everyone reaches a point where they just are so overwhelmed and they want to stop. Yep. They want everything to stop. Um, but the picture that I put with it is to show that there is this light. Mm-hmm. And if you try to just focus on the good, um, there's going to be shadows, and that's okay. Um, no, that's that's actually a very good point because if I was able to get, even though I was so broken and so like far down, if I was able to focus on my family and loved ones and friends and all that and see the support that they give me and and see the benefit of continuing to live and that I can get through this and that I don't have this giant wall in front of me, then everything would be okay. I would be able to see that light instead of darkness. Yeah. That's very good. That's very good. Thank you. (laughs) Um, But yeah. There is light. There is light. You just... There is. Yeah. It's hard to see sometimes. It is very hard to see sometimes. Yeah, but it's there. Um, Thank you again for joining me. Oh, well, thank Um, you for having me. Yeah, really appreciated it. Um, A secret is a story untold, and I just told it. Or you just told it, really. I didn't do much talking in this one. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I really appreciate it, so thank you. Thank you. I think I have to log in again. (laughs) It's positive. (laughs)